Hello, and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 86. Uh, Wheels is temporarily indisposed, so starting off, we have me, the usual, the semi-reliable, David McBurney, Family Master, whatever else you want to call me, and with me, thankfully again... Michael Baker, Gaiji Monogatari from Japan. It's good to have you back. Uh, you do much over the past week that you feel like sharing? Um... Mostly summer vacation stuff and lots of laundry. <laughs> Two things that are rarely, if ever, separate. Yeah. Oh, lots of laundry and occasionally ill baby. Oh, that's that's less fun. That's markedly less fun. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but we got to... We went by uh, one of the local malls last week and we got to see this little aquarium that, that they had set up. And she was excited to look at all the fishes. That's fun. And they had uh, they had an aquarium of those medical fish, the ones that will nibble um, loose skin off of you. Hmm. Or Never seen those. Oh, they're pretty popular over here. So yeah, hmm. you can just stick your hand in it for a minute, and they would just nibble the skin off. It's better for everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, sounds like a. Fun time, if, uh, well, aside from the sick, but fun time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had the chance to look at any of the questions, or was there anything maybe from last week that you would have wanted to go back to since you weren't here? And, I mean, I've been having a hard time actually listening to anything on uh, because of um, not wanting to wake up daughter. Uh, yeah, that'll, that'll happen. So, I haven't actually listened to last week's yet. I don't blame you. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't listen to me either. Um, I don't really listen to myself either, but let's see what yeah. here. Okay. So, why don't you tell me what topics came up last week? Uh, let's see. Last week we had... Uh, you've caught me off guard. Now I have to go and look at what, what questions we had. Uh, last week, uh, we had a brief discussion about uh, Wheels' uh, typos. Uh, oh, yeah, because I called him out for one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had the question of why MMOs seem to have somewhat declined in prominence and popularity over the past few uh, years. Uh but I also asked if there were any rumored games you would have wanted to see come out that never seemed to have materialized. I feel like we've done that question a few times. Oh, probably. But it's always an interesting one, and I've always got a different game to bring up. So Yeah. It was fun. I got to... I, I remembered just before that uh, recording that there had at one time been heavy rumors that A Skies of Arcadia 2 was in development for PS2, and that just never happened. Never happened at all. One of these days, I'm going to actually have to find a way to play Skies of Arcadia 1. Yeah, that... I swear, every year I'm certain that Sega is bound and determined to one day they have to do a Skies of Arcadia HD. And it just never happens. Mm. I mean, the the other thing that I like... that the There was an announcement today that felt like it was laser-targeted at me and, like, seven other people, so that was fun. <laughs> Uh, Grandia 1 and 2 HD for Switch and PC. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was like, I, I wasn't... 
I know that they are avoiding Grandia 3. Yeah, yeah, they're also avoiding Grandia Extreme for reasonably similar reasons. Yes. Uh-huh. But, uh... We I won't even have... Parallel Trippers because I don't think anyone but me remembers that game. We can get a nice Grandia collection, too, that's just Parallel Trippers, Digital Museum, and the 3 and Extreme. All and the ones that no one would buy. <laughs> Well, I would buy it. No one else would. <laughs> well, but would you play it? Uh, some of it. Maybe. Okay. At le- I would spend at least an hour on each of those video games before quitting in disgust. Uh, but I, it did raise the question of, I think Sony officially is, is the company that localized Grandia 1 in the US, so I'm not sure what they would do what they're intending to do about that game when they re-release it on Switch, PC, and not PS4. Mm. I like. I presume like Gung Ho's English uh, arm acknowledged that the announcement had been made, and like the intent is to bring it to Steam as well. So presumably, there are English lo- uh, English releases lined up for this, but. I'm not sure who owns that localization. And I'm not sure if I would trust anyone to relocalize it because I remember enjoying the original game's localization fairly much well. It's got a it's got a good tone to it. It has one of my favorite like attempts to scrub out alcohol in a video game. <laughs> Best of luck with that considering I think what was it the the Minotaur girl who was drunk off her butt half the time. Yeah, there was that, but it's much funnier in the opening, because, like, the you have to go to a bar, uh, the bit where you have to go to the bar to meet, uh, to try to find the super old adventurer so he'll give you his steamer pass. Yeah, Java. And, yeah, Java. I wasn't sure if they'd renamed him to make him fit in line with what they did to the bar, because they made the bar a cafe uh, and said everyone well, was drinking coffee. Well, from what I remember, I'm, I'm, I, you're making me want to go actually take up my copy of Parallel Trippers. I'm pretty sure his name was Java in Japanese. Huh. Yeah. I guess that was just a lucky save then. Yeah. But uh, I just really appreciated, like, the guy who is, like, passed out in a pile of bottles. And the game just says that he's just been drinking way too much coffee. That's usually the opposite of what happens when you drink too much coffee. Yeah, like... It, Unless it, you're having it, to go into a complete sugar crash. Yeah, that like your other option is to have, like somehow drank so much sugar and or caffeine that it causes bad things to happen to your heart. So And he does not have that much capacity. Yeah, probably not. Of course but, yeah. now bring this up it makes me wonder exactly how they're going to handle localizing Metal Max Xeno. Oh, do tell, I need to hear this. Well, your second party member, uh, he you meet him quite a bit quite a bit of time before he actually joins you. Yeah. Because when you first meet him, he's one of he's one of the three living survivors in the main base. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's the only survivor of his settlement. Mm-hmm. And aside from that, he also had this had a big crush on this girl from one of the trader groups, and he does not know what happened to her either. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, when you first meet him, he is suffering from massive survivor's guilt, and he is on the fourth day of a three day bender. <laughs> Lovely. Yes, um, and that's only the first time that the game completely acknowledges that, hey, it's, the, it's 2099, 
there's only like nine humans left in Tokyo. Who cares about liquor laws? No one is going to try. No one is going to card this this kid in 2099 when the world's been destroyed. In fact, I'm not sure how many of the playable characters are actually over 21 or hmm. 20, even for Japanese. Yeah, uh, I'm willing to bet at least four of them are underage. Maybe two of them are right on the border age, and one of them is technically um, seventy-something years old because of um, it's like um, nuclear magic. No, she was stuck in a jar for a couple decades. Oh, good times. Yeah, <laughs> suspended animation. Yeah. So, but um, if you're not counting that, then she's probably an accelerated six years old. Wow. Yeah, so, and she gets drunk a couple times, too, I think. Um, oh, that's going to be interesting. I was going to say, like, if they if there's ambiguity, they could probably just say they're 21, but if not... I mean, there's well, nothing... It, okay. I mean, it's hard to figure out exactly how old she is, because they don't get a real timeline mm -hmm. for that deep into the Great Destruction. Mm -hmm. It's just that, she, considering where she came from and what she was, she probably was not that old. Or it's yeah. not as she looks. Mm -hmm. so. like, given the... It's one of those situations where, like, they... There's nothing illegal about having a character in a video game, like, drink who is not of age in the real world, but it's one of those things that companies don't like touching. So, Well, I mean, it wouldn't be illegal in Japan. In America, it might actually be. Hmm. Because, or depending on the state, because a lot of the states have very finicky laws on presentation and contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Yeah, that's also one of those... Yeah. I, it's, that's one of those situations where, like, it would be difficult to tell how much that would hold up if someone actually tried to sue them over it. But then again, no one would want to deal with the problem of having to actually sit through that lawsuit, so... I mean, that... That helps explain a lot of Nintendo of America's localization policies in the 80s and 90s. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Including the most likely reasons why Metal Max 1 and 2 never got ported over. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way to really hide the amount of alcohol in those games. <laughs> It'll be interesting. I feel like we'll learn a lot from what the final localized game looks like. Yep. I mean, in I mean, you can't do this in Xena because, hey, there's only one bar in the game and it's free. Um... <laughs> But most of the bars in the series, you can order uh, drinks for on the house for everybody. <laughs> and in a few cases, this will actually get you better information on the area. You're suddenly like, everyone's best friend. Exactly. And the games tend to, tended to actually keep track of how many times you had done this. <laughs> so... <sighs> Of course, I mean, the remake for Metal Max 2 also included, um, not, not only included a second possible romantic ending, but it they basically, apparently they just decided that they didn't have to make anything different to accommodate the fact that you had a choice of male and female protagonist this time. Oops. Which was not around in the original version of the game, so, yeah, it's, you suddenly have... Not, you can not only end up getting married to one of two different beautiful ladies, you can also end up lesbian married to one of two beautiful ladies. The no future, who's to stop you? Yeah, exactly. 
that's <laughs> I love when like they when additions get made like that where it's like they're not they just don't think about the addition very much. They wrote it from such a specific pr- perspective that it never even occurs to them. Yep. Uh, or, um, going back to alcohol, I'm remembering Tales of Fantasia. Oh, yeah. Archie the Witch manages to get completely plastered on a boat ride at one point. Yeah. And they... Ha- and they I think they actually went with the Pinch Julio tea joke in order to cover up that part. It's been forever since I played the GBA version of Tales of Fantasia. Yeah. I'll never, like, to me, the iconic form of trying to, uh, trying to censor booze is the first airing of the dub of Dragon Ball, where they just, uh, Dragon Ball Z, I should say, where they just, like, made the, the, like, they had these clear beer mugs, and, like, they, they colored the liquid to be blue, but there was still just, like, this giant head from, like, obvious carbonation. So yep. it's like, what are you drinking? Romulan ale. Clearly. Yes. I know, I'm just remembering one of the... I can't even remember which Tenshi Muyo series it was, because they had enough completely... There's so many of those. But, um... It was, one, it was, like, an alt-universe one where they were all in the same high school, and, um... And Tenya was getting was obviously getting drunk, but they kept referring to the stuff in her very obvious traditional samurai style sake bottle as tea, <laughs> even though it had the actual kanji symbol for alcohol on the side of the bottle. It was <sighs> still tea, and she was still getting red faced and drunk. Yeah, you know, as you do. Yep. And of course, um, Nintendo had some fun with the same kind of thing when they had the milk bars in various games. Ah, oh, good milk bar. Which, which are, in fact, milk bars. They were designed to be a joke on drinking. Yeah, I remember Legend of Zelda doing that, and you're still having to prove that you're an adult somehow. Uh, I mean, I'm, I know Majora's Mask was not as bad about that. Like, they make, like, a weird super milk, you really want to get the milk in Majora's Mask just because it's like, oh, you get infinite magic until you travel back in time. Mm-hmm. Get that Chateau Romani. Yeah. And the fact that you also have to... You actually have to... Um, there's an actual quest that's a literal milk run. Yeah. Or you have to defend against bandits. Oh, man, that's one of my favorite, like, mask interactions in the game, because if you've already done the milk run and just do that quest again, there's no reason to do it, but if you do, when they attack you again, if you, when the bandits attack you again, you can wear a mask that's one of their brothers, and if you're wearing that, they won't have the heart to actually shoot at you. (laughs) It's one of those things that Majora's Mask was always really good at, of, like, here's a curious interaction between two things that you wouldn't think about, but, like, the game will acknowledge it. I just remember in Ocarina of Time, if you wore a Gerudo mask to the Gerudo, Gerudo Fortress, um, <laughs> the, gar- the guard lady's response is, you've got a lot of nerve coming here like that. <laughs> he seriously thought we were here to fall for this. Yes. It's not just that it's a, a stupid disguise. It's like, seriously, we are offended. <laughs> It's one of those, like, I'm not sure which would be more insulting. That you think we're that dumb, or that you're that dumb? Yep. Uh, 
<laughs> Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask have a lot of great details like that. I always loved the like really dumb thing that they did, where like if you just put a bomb next to a gossip stone and let it blow up, the thing would just fire into the sky for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why it does that, but it does like a full rocket ship countdown. It's really good. Like, why would you bomb one to begin with? Exactly. <laughs> but, hey, the game will reward you in its own strange way. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. You get funny reactions. It's like, yep. uh, it's like you know, those, those little green electric things in a lot of the games? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you use magic powder on them in Link's Awakening, it gives them Groucho Marx glasses. I remember looking these up because they say different weird things in basically every translation. And the strangest one seemed to have been the German one, which just, like... It was basically obliquely saying, always wear a condom. It's a very strange piece of dialogue to insert into your Game Boy Color Zelda game. Or original Game Boy, too. Translators get bored sometimes, it would seem. <laughs> you don't say. I'm shocked. I mean, game writers and the designers get really bored sometimes, too, because, hey, I'm still playing through Magical Vacation, and the name games have not stopped yet. <laughs> um, so if you're going, it's like, I just finished the pyramid level, and it's a, I mean, to actually get through the level, it's pretty straightforward, but you have to destroy these pots at certain points in order to advance. And um, so they're called the Kia Koto, um, no, the Kia Kota, Pots, which is takoyaki spelled backwards. <laughs> and they all have names, and all of the names are either ingredients or toppings for takoyaki spelled oh, man. backwards. That sounds like a, a useful guide to the to someone new to takoyaki. Yeah. Oh, no, they'd have to know takoyaki just to get the joke. Ah, uh, that's a shame. I mean, because they're not actually named after the the. Oh, they're references to the ingredients, not just the names of the ingredients. No, they took the name of the ingredients, spelled out in katakana, and then reversed order on the katakana. Ah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, man. Takoyaki is good. It's very hard to get in America, but it's very good. Yep. Uh, but the thing is, that's not an isolated example from this game. <laughs> um, I mean... Um, okay, the... In the village of brownies, all of the brownies are named after pizza toppings. Huh. Uh, let's see. Um, there's two groups of dwarves that you can meet. The first group in the dwarf city are all named after sauces. The second group that are connected to a mine in the second region are all named after types of bread. Things like this. Sometimes, um, sometimes you're right and all hungry. Yep. Yeah. And then there's La Roche Tower, which is inhabited by these little mice people. And in order to get from the front door to the boss's room on the top of the tower, you have yeah. to go to this complicated tr trading game, where you get a fire sticker at the towards the beginning. You trade it to the guard at the front. He tells you the name of the next mouse you need to give it to, and tells you what they're doing, or how they walk. Whenever you talk to a mouse, it doesn't give you the name of the mouse when you talk to them at first. So you have to identify them by their way of walking, standing, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it has to be one of the... One of... I mean, for 
such a normally straightforward and care and player friendly little game, it has to be one of the most intensive reading exercises I have ever seen for a foreigner to play in a Japanese video game. <laughs> but all of the mice are named after cheeses. Every single one. <laughs> not And not necessarily the well-known ones. We're talking and, about uh, the European cheese covered in maggots. Uh, they don't actually have that one. Oh, that's uh, true. But they've got, I mean, they, it ranges from Stilton to... Um, Oh, to Neufchatel, to Cachacabara. Wow. Yeah, they were not going for the easy cheeses. No. But they were definitely going for a theme because the tower itself is made out of cheese. <laughs> or at least it looks like it. And <laughs> you're trying to rescue one of your classmates, the robot Café Olay, from the boss, because the boss of the tower bought him so he could be converted into a cheesecake oven. Okay, then. That's fine. However, you need to get him back, one, because he's your classmate, and two, because you can convert him into a an engine that will get your magic school bus to be able to do plane shift. Yeah, that makes sense. Really? Wow. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm, listen, if I say it makes sense, I can pretend it much harder. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, I'm almost finished with that game. Almost. <laughs> Enjoying, I presume? Sounds like it. Mostly, yeah. I mean, I had to... I mean, there was one um, one time a little while back I had to grind a bit. Mm. And I have, at this point, managed to miss most of the elemental spirits. Ah. Uh. Um, yeah, I'm only ever going to have one love spirit, unfortunately. Because I, it's, kind, it's kind of helpful to have more than one if you really want to boost your... Uh, healing spells. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said to Wheels two weeks ago, this game is a completionist nightmare. <laughs> yep. Oh, I remember you guys talking about that, and it felt like it was destroying my brain. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I guess this does dovetail back a bit into the one of those questions about like games that were rumored to see the light of day because I know for a fact that at one point there were a lot there was at the very least like an indication Nintendo attend, intended to localize magical vacation it was at it had an article written about it in Nintendo Power yeah which given that Nintendo owned it was basically a saw a test bed for like our people into this <laughs> yes I, my little brother was actually rather looking forward to it back in 2000. Yeah, they just sort of, like, that was one of those things where it's like, they never said it was cancelled, they just stopped talking about it. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's a couple other games out there that, yeah, I know they exist somehow, that I have seen material from them, but. Yeah. It's like one of them was uh, this Gust game that, we, the last we heard from it was one month before it was supposed to be released, and then three years later it was cancelled. Yeah, those situations where... Uh, there's just weird situations where, like, a company doesn't want to talk about why something suddenly isn't happening, so they just sort of stop talking about it at all and hope that people stop asking. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a big-name title anyway, and this is also about not too far off from the time period where Gus got acquired by Koei Tecmo. 
Yeah, that was a period when they were, like, really having issues with funds, weren't they? Yeah, which is kind of sad, considering the Dusk series was the same time period, and that was one of their best creative efforts ever. Yeah, sometimes... Best selling, too. Yeah, I can only imagine, like, perhaps part of the reason they ended up in dire financial straits was the fact that that project didn't pan out. But, mm. I mean, Gust is also really good at recycling underlying mechanics and graphics and materials for everything. Yeah. I mean, they have... If you look at them design-wise, they're probably one of the most frugal developers out there. Uh, not for music, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we let him in? We should, yeah, we should take a short break. I'm sure Wales will insert something truly detestable here. Baby... And we're back. And I'm here. Yay! And we have questions and stuff. I hope you enjoyed that selection of... What am I going to use this time? I don't know. Something... Questionable musical choices. There you go. There you go. Hey, I used your musical suggestion, so maybe you guys should suggest more, and then maybe we'll hear less of the Teen Titans go to the movie soundtrack. I'm just going to keep telling you, like, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones songs. That works. <laughs> or epic rap battles of history, I don't care. Nothing can stop us. I've been watching a lot of those recently, they're really fun. They can be, yeah. yeah. Alright, so we have put a... In the ra- put in the Rascal King. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, anyway, questions, questions. Tons of questions. Uh... Well, let's see here, Budai, number one. If Etrian Odyssey has a future on the Switch, how do you expect suspect that they change the game? Hmm. And it is because I've never actually played them. I just know that they are very heavily um, involved with their own map making. Yeah. yeah, a lot of a lot of swapping to the a lot of looking down at the map and drawing in areas and notes and things. Yeah. I... So, and they would only have one screen to really work with on the Switch. Unless yeah. they decide to do the main part on the TV and the subscreen on the... Handheld. The Switch doesn't have support for that. Then never mind then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I th- the problem with this is, I think, if you once you take away that as- aspect, it's it's just another, like, wizardry-ish game. And I guess that it is a well. good wizardry-ish game. It's true. Wizardry is an official genre, Wheels. It's, yes. It's just... The map making has been so integral to it, and you know they have. I don't think they've ever put in like auto mapping because kind of half the point is that you can't. They, they have up. put in. They have put in some auto mapping. Some yes. With each with each game, they have gotten more and more of the auto map. So basically, if they want to um, extend the series to the Switch, they're going to have to find some way of changing the format. Right. Something that just occurred to me is that. In handheld mode, at least, they could just, like, 
put the map up in a corner of the screen. They have more screen real estate to use nowadays, so they could put a map in the corner of the screen, and if you tap at it or press a button, like it expands out to the to take up more of it, so you can draw into it. Yeah, that might work. But I mean, it's also a question of how much farther can they stretch the premise of the series? Mm. Like I'd I mean, suspect. Okay. They're doing a massive crossover game now. Yeah. I would suspect that the reason that X exists is that they are currently trying to work out this problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, usually crossover games like that are a sign that this development studio is spinning its wheels trying to think something good. And this is the only thing that they can come up with fast enough to please somebody. Yeah. See also why Persona Q2 is a 3DS game and not a Switch game. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For that matter, oh, I... how Parallel Trippers exists between Grandia and Grandia 2. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, Wheels, you have to react to that, too, because I'm re- I reacted enough for three people, but that doesn't matter. You have to react to Grandia 1 and 2 for Switch as well. Well, Grandia 2, I think, is the only RPG... Not the only RPG, the only game I ever finished on the Dreamcast, so that should tell you a lot about how I feel about Grandia <laughs> Given 2. Wheels' noted hatred of the Dreamcast. Yeah, that... Well, yeah. Let's see. Well, two is. Uh, well, I never actually played Grandia Two or Extreme. I played the other three. <laughs> I mean, the story is kind of like generic Japanese-ish JRPG stuff. Like all of the, the butt, all of them but... are it's generic. 90s game. Yes, it's it's nineties as shit. <laughs> uh, all of them are at least a little generic, but I think that like one and two pull things off with a fair amount of like. They're charming while they're being generic, so you kind I mean, of let it go. Grandia 1 has one of the better romantic subplots I have seen in any Japanese RPG just because it actually decides to go somewhere. Yeah, like, it, it decides to it decides where it's going early on, and then it, like, around halfway through, they've already made their commitment because they want to make that commitment important by the time that the game is over. Yeah, so it, they actually it, use it in the climax. Yeah, it's it's very well done organically in terms of storytelling. Yeah, I, it's I probably love it's probably in my top three best JRPG romance plots I ever just. Yeah, it I, works, and I, so many of them don't. <laughs> I I am so pumped to have both of these games as portable games because they are both some of my favorite games. So it's it's pretty rad, and I've never really played the first one, so. Uh, now I'm gonna have a good excuse to do so. Yeah. Good. It's the good first game. one also has some really good sprite work as well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Though I'm rem- I'm remembering some of the scenes with the Magic Knights bitch Earth. The, the two sergeants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those three are just the Magic Knight Ray Earth main characters, but evil. No, I mean at, at one point you're going through the the vent ventilation ducts of the military base, and you get you can actually peek in on them in their changing area, and one they're like comparing thongs or something, and the sprite work comparing is, something, but yeah, yeah, and no, I mean I think one of them, the green-haired one, if I'm I'm remembering this, why why am I remembering this from 18 years ago? Okay, <laughs> but but she's actually pulling up on her thong in the sprite work. Just a lot of work to put for something that was in a really low resolution at the time. Yes, I'm like okay. It's, choices were made. Some very interesting choices were made, and it is very good sprite work, very detailed, very articulated, 
And you have to wonder why they put so much effort into one scene gags at times. They aren't always they aren't always the one scene gags for that. Sometimes they're things like, oh, this one of my favorite scenes is right after that. Three characters like biting into these nuts with, that are supposed to help them somehow. They don't oh, know what they taste they're, like. They're, they're translation nuts. Yeah, well, they, yeah, don't, they don't know that, that they're that. translation nuts at the time, but yeah. like they bite into them, they don't know what they are, and like they just. They taste so horrible that they just all immediately go completely berserk and start running around the room, like, <laughs> crashing into things. So like with it's... bright red faces puffed up like toads and steam coming out of the ears. <laughs> like, they, like, they're doing things that they will never do at any other point in the game. It's so good. Yes. Oh, I love Grandia. It's such yep. a good game. So yeah, this is going on the list for when I eventually break down and get a Switch. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Like, oh man, I'm so happy. Because that was like one of those things where like, if I were to make a joke about like, what do I want to see ported to the Switch, like Grandia would be one of them. And it happened. I also noted yesterday that they are actually selling an Arland trilogy set for the Switch. Nice. Oh man. Which, I mean, it's not the first time that Gust has done a multiple game in one edition set. I'm just kind of surprised it's this three. Mm-hmm. Um, so, was that the one before or after the Dusk trilogy? Before. Yeah, I was thinking before that the most recent trilogy wasn't the Arlen one. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way to reuse their. It's a good way to get some quick cash, I guess. And again, this is something that Gust is quite good at. Yeah. So. Nice. So, did we ever it's actually answer the? Like, Original question. Um, uh, is it basically we, we have no idea? I mean, yeah, we did like discuss a... how they might work around some of the limitations of their core gimmick. Yeah. So I guess that counts. Okay. So, shall we move on? Sure. Uh, this is from the, the madness. Okay. So mad he spells it with two Ds. Uh, yes. The madness. I still remember being really excited when games started really getting made for phones, especially RPGs, back before the majority were revealed to be microtransaction-riddled cash grabs with little depth to them. Where did it all go wrong, really? Um, uh. The, uh, <laughs> let's see, well, for specifically for cell phones, there were the hardware limitations, the, the memory space limitations, the fact that at least for the market that they were being made for, there were three or four major different um, phone producers, and so that the games had to be made to accommodate all possible architectures. So they ended up being like lowest co- common denominator on cost and everything else in order to maximize the number of people who could play them. Plus, if you keep them low rent, when you make additions to them to sell more JPEGs to people via slot machine, you've got a lot more. It's a lot cheaper to make additions. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the gacha culture of Japan. Yes, slot machine thurkers. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean they weren't even the. I mean, gacha dates back well before cell phone games in Japan. Oh, definitely. It's just it's yeah. That's how it, how it. That's the vector by which it infected video games. Yeah. At least video games at large. As a major core mechanic, at least. Yeah. 
I mean, Zelda Minish Cap had a gotcha machine in it, but it was just for collectibles. Yeah. That's sort of like, now that I think about it, there's a... I think Shenmue 1 and 2 have essentially gotcha machines. So you get like, you get like Virtua Fighter capsule toys. Anachronistic Virtua Fighter capsule capsule toys, because that game takes place in like 1987. (laughs) But uh, Virtua Fighter capsule toys nonetheless. But, uh, yeah, like, I feel like there wasn't exactly a heyday for mobile phone games before this kind of game became a thing, so... Yeah, it was like race to the bottom pricing pretty quickly. Yeah. And once, so, and once it... Oh, good. Uh, so, yeah, it was a combination of this became possible on the market combined with this is what is working with the mono- market right now, and they never really had a chance. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, people who had cell phones wanted to play games on them, but people who had cell phones did not buy them to play games. So you had to entice them with something that didn't require them to buy immediately. Mm. And then once they already cared, you hooked them in. And that tends to be the the method that gambling uses. And that's why gotcha tends to, and phone games tend to revolve around, like, time limits and what amounts to gambling. Yeah. I mean, casual market, too. And yeah, I mean the entire online casual game market really focuses on this as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a reason that the first time you heard about uh, first time you heard about casual games on the internet before it was uh, before it was like things that were played on social networks like Facebook. It was like, oh, people are playing online poker. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I certainly remember that. <sighs> also, uh, yeah, I remember. Never ar- had a chance. Yeah, I remember arguing with people a lot about when um, Square Enix started coming out with games on phones for like you know, fifteen to twenty 15 bucks, bucks, and people complaining about the price. I'm just like, don't you want to play for quality? Yeah, don't you want to pay for something you know is good for what it's really worth instead of. Uh, Two bucks getting for garbage. A, getting that sa- or even just getting that same thing, uh, getting that paying that same amount, but for something of lower quality that has slowly ensnared you over the course of three months. Yeah. Uh, but no, people wouldn't have it. Because people are short-sighted. Yeah. But... Much easier to blade someone slowly. But, uh... I mean, technically, it is not possible to boil a frog the way it's been described in the anecdote. But you would. People, there's a reason people think it's true. <laughs> because, often because it's true for people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like kind of the market just never really stood a chance. No. Yeah. It's a question of essentially uh, decide how much that you're willing to support that and support the least abusive ones you can. Well, now I think the same people are complaining about uh, free-to-play microtransaction garbage, and here we are. Funny. Oh, what was I going to say? There's one other thing that I was thinking about relating to that. I think it was... uh, Whenever I think about, like, 
if ever I think about someone complaining about the the Final Fantasy game, I remember people complaining about the price of on mobile was uh, FF Tactics: War of the Lions. And whenever I think of that, I think, like, man, do you guys remember when this game was a hundred dollars? I do. <laughs> I certainly do. That was a really like. As I know, like, it in yen, and it's quite a bit less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was like there was a period where. Uh, the, that game did not exist in the wild in the U.S., and it was yeah. a holy grail to find it, and an even holier grail to find it for less than a hundred dollars. Even worse was uh, Tactics Ogre. Oh, we got the Tactics PSC Ogre. version. Yeah, I think that was called Tactics Ogre Special Edition here or something. Yeah, it was. It was. Ogre, I, it was original Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre. And I'm just thinking, I know places where I could probably get that for twenty to thirty dollars right now. <laughs> Like a ten-minute bike ride from my apartment, in the middle of—I mean, it's a large city, but it's technically in the middle of nowhere by Japanese standards. So, um, yeah, let's blame whoever it was who decided to have such low print numbers for some of these games. Atlas. Uh, I mean, granted, Atlas was trying to save on its bottom line, and it probably would have failed if it actually had published that enough to make everyone happy twenty years later. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to Atlas's credit, they've also been one of the fastest companies to embrace digital distribution. So Yes. In conclusion, no one will ever play Ogre Battle, a person of lordly caliber again in the U.S., except for those who bought it on Wii or Wii U eShop. And I know where to get a copy of that for Nintendo 64. <laughs> I'm kind of... I'm mildly surprised that that's readily available, given that the N64 doesn't seem to have been popular in Japan, but I mean, that might also be why and it's I readily available. And I can get a Nintendo 64 for 4,000 yen. Mm. Use, um, Japan that... has a very robust used-everything market, you realize. Yeah, it's just one yeah. of those things where like, I would expect it to get harder when, thing, when no one cared about it when it was new. <laughs> uh, no, this is Japan. There's no such thing as nobody caring about it when it was new. Ah, uh, devoted well, subcultures. I mean... <laughs> I mean, the Famicom disk system was technically serviceable through 2004. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if the thing, if one of the easier to break parts of it and it actually broke, you could send it back to Nintendo and get it repaired. I feel up like to, that drive belt is basically just a rubber band. Yes. Up to the year 2004, which was almost two decades after it failed as a console. Yeah, let's see... Disk system came out in like '86 because that was around when they launched it with things like Zelda One. Because it was supposed to be a, a, a way to make a save game on it. Yeah, save game, and it also was just cheaper to manufacture. But like, the discs themselves just were right. not large enough. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, to continue with the madness here. Related question, did you ever have a game or series that you thought would really work well as mobile games that never got made, or was just made badly? Hmm. I always thought The World Ends With You could have an awesome sequel or spinoff for phones. So Joshua already used one as a weapon in the original, and they could have had updating pins and maybe region or location-based functions. Oh, what could have been? That would have been really cool, actually. I feel like they probably really wanted to do that because they kept trying to make World Ends With You work. Like, yeah. That, they, there was so much, like, they, they really tried to push that mobile version of original World Ends With You. They had, like, the... 
the big and they did an announcement countdown they did like the big reveal for it and they did like a cafe for it for a brief period and then I suspect it did not do as well as they would have wanted to go forward with A World Ends With You 2, and that's why we didn't hear any more about it. It's a really nice mobile port, though. Yeah, it seems to be the basis for Final Remix. That's really good news, then. Uh, see, Final Remix will add probably whatever other new content may have been at one point slated to be added to the cell phone version. <laughs> Because there is definitely something new in that version. So. Uh, I don't think I'd really recommend it on a cell phone, but it, it's great on a tablet. Yeah, there's probably a little too much going on in any given battle to play that on a phone. Yeah. But it's but, just not enough screen real estate. Yeah, I got that on my Amazon Fire, and it's pretty great. It'll be really good on Switch. Yep. But, uh... <sighs> that's, a. Uh, I don't often think of in terms of what would work well on cell phone. I have to admit because I just I don't play cell phone games, so like this question kind of goes over my head. Yeah. Wheels, how how many how much have you fantasized about a proper Magic the Gathering on cell phones? Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> like I try to play the stupid uh, Magic Arena, I mean, not Magic Arena. I I no, have heard that thing. like every Magic the Gathering game is just bad. Yeah, so I forget what it's called, Magic Duel, the Planeswalkers or something. It just Yeah, they did that every year for a while. Yeah, it's, it's not great. And really, Magic, Magic by its very nature is hard to turn into a digital game because you'll see with a lot of the games basically made for digital is it's mostly like you take your turn, your opponent takes your turn. And there's not generally, a, sometimes there is some interaction like on your opponent's turn, but generally there isn't. And that's. You're just waiting for their turn to right. resolve. And that's for the sake of providing a smoother experience. And you can't really do that with magic because uh, it's heavily based around uh, doing stuff on your opponent's turn. Some, some effects only yeah. resolve on your opponent's turn, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, thankfully, Magic Arena has done a relatively good job for it. I mean, the game is still slow compared to any other digital game, but that's that's fine, in my opinion. I'm really looking at that at the moment as more of a replacement for Magic Online, which is um, garbage. Don't call butts. Yeah. So, from that perspective, it's great. But yeah, it's I, I, I've definitely always wanted... I mean, that's what got me into Hearthstone, was I want I want a version of Magic where I don't have to wait for other people to play it. <laughs> uh, that's what the bone-headed CPU is for. I hate, I hate playing the CPU in card games. It's so boring. <laughs> They're so awful. Especially in Hearthstone. <laughs> well, Hearthstone's not the problem. Well, I and I I see people clamoring for like more single player content in Hearthstone. I'm just like, this is garbage. Why do, do you want? This? Why do you want this? Now you got to be remembering. This wasn't a card based game, but it was well, actually sort of. It was the uh, Dinosaur King game where it was literally rock paper scissors for combat. And the CPU, depending on the area, the CPU was so ridiculously predictable. Um, the first few areas, you knew which attack the enemy was going to throw first and how they would react to you after just a few times. 
And then it would start out being, okay, different particular characters would have particular patterns. And then the final boss was difficult only because he didn't have a pattern. So it was like literally trying to fight somebody with rock, paper, scissors, and it was actually the person who was trying to think about it. Well, that's, that's a step up in difficulty for the final boss. Is this best two out of three? How was this run? Oh, no, I mean, if if there's a clear winner out of the match, then one person does damage, the other one that takes damage. If it's, um, like, both people do scissors, both take damage. Not as much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And then the different moves have different rock, paper, scissors alignments put to mm. them. And there's some other stuff that you can metagame with, but it's basically it is the most obvious version of rock paper scissors possible. Just didn't didn't bother to gussy it up that much. Oh no, because it's based on an arcade game where it really is just rock paper scissors. Ah, okay. Signed for five year olds. Oh, that makes sense. Don't want to overwhelm five year olds with complicated rule sets. John. I'm trying to think of any RPGs I've like clamored for on a phone. Like usually, if I'm going to clamor for an RPG on an anything, it's going to be a portable. Yeah. <laughs> Persona Five Crimson. When? Never. It's not happening. I've given up. You, I've given up. Don't hope. you do that to me. I'm don't up. you do this to it's me? It's not happening, man. You coward. Oh yeah, I saw that uh, Yuji Hori uh, implied that there might be a. Uh, Dragon Quest Eleven Switch reveal sometime around TGS. Oh yeah. It's yeah. You believe he's prone to this sort of thing. I mean, I'm gonna try and play it on PS4, but I just feel like that's it's not gonna last. I will inevitably end up finishing it on Switch. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's been so long since we've gotten. Like a new main series, Dragon Quest that did, you know I, I I just can't wait. It wasn't it. technically a remake in some fashion. Yeah. The last time we got one that wasn't a like if we're talking about new to North America, the last time would have been like six. Yeah. Which would be like eight years ago. Yep. It's been a while. Uh kept you waiting, huh? Yeah. Of course, no, never had a 10. <laughs> yep, never gonna get 10. Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be a big gap for the rest of time. Yeah, it's fine. They can repackage it as a um, free-to-play mobile game with microtransactions. You know that'll happen like 15 years from now, like what <laughs> they are currently doing to Final Fantasy XI. So is that the plan? Is that the, the whole mobile thing I keep hearing about? What mobile thing? I keep hearing like about some sort of Final Fantasy XI mobile. I didn't... Yeah, it's it's being ported to a modern engine that'll be like some sort of FF11 uh, setup for mobile. Yeah. I'm Probably free to play. Probably microtransaction. I was gonna say if they could actually set up a single player game using the Final Fantasy XI storyline, I'd be kind of interested. But, but they I'd won't, because this would be more profitable. <laughs> I know, I mean, Nexon proved that you can actually make a decent single-player game out of an MMORPG. Even if they did it with MapleStory. Yeah. I mean, that's a good test case, because, like, 
you would not think that that would make any sense as a single-player game. It barely yeah. made sense as a multiplayer one. <laughs> well, partly because the storyline in Maple Story is so ridiculously diffuse that you have to spend 50 hours grinding to get the next point of it. Yeah. So, so instead they just took a bunch of the same char- bunch of characters and a lot of minor background lore and made a new story for it. Sort of. Nice. I tried to read a summary of Maple Story Online's actual plot at one point. I could recognize some characters and some elements and more from the second game as well. And like, okay, I'm not sure how they got from point A to point B, but I'm happy to play point B. <laughs> I will stay away from point A. <laughs> that's, that's healthier. Healthier. Yeah, uh can't really think of much that I would be like, yes, I need this for my phone, very specifically. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, like, a Shining Force game, something like that might be good. I mean, there's lots of stuff. It's just, I think it still all comes back to, yeah, I'd rather have that as, like, a 3DS or a Switch game at this point. You're kind of running into the fact that, like, we are not the audience for phone versions of major titles, because yeah. every time we see those, we're just going to think, why didn't those happen on a exactly. portable where I could play them? <laughs> and I mean, really, a phone game is not really the place for that sort of thing. Like, uh, I really like uh, Fire Emblem Heroes. I think that's the fir- the perfect Fire Emblem game for a phone. And apparently it's done a good job of actually getting people to come and play the main game, so... So now they'll all just play Three Houses. Yeah, so... I mean, if you're going to do a, a version of, like, a like some sort of console or, like, some sort of big series, I think Nintendo's got a good template for it. So that was good. I think Mario Run is a nice little Mario game that kind of makes you want to play the main games and like Pokemon Go since that has come out I'm pretty sure the sales of the 3DS games have gone up so it was definitely successful enough that they decided to like incorporate it into the into a game so yeah and I think that's really cool so Pokemon the craze the legend yeah we'll see but I will say I would like to see more of that and less of just, let's port an old game to the phone, because that is played out and boring. Also, a lot of them are just not good ports. Yeah, that too. They were designed for buttons. Let's play Secret of Mana on the... Oh. No. No. Uh, I I still remember when the phone I got in 2007 had Final Fantasy Adventure on it. I would imagine that's not a great version. I mean, it was... Very nice graphical upgrade, but play, using the O-ring for direction pad, uh, um, it made the sword's lunge attack impossible to pull off, but the, the whirling blade's attack was a lot easier. <laughs> um, but also, it was unfortunately very easy to have your thumb slip off at the wrong time going down and right and end up hitting the uh, power down button. Whoops. Yeah. Well, now I'm just thinking about the fact that uh, Sega at one time released frickin' Sonic the Hedgehog 1 for click-wheel iPod. (laughs) 
can't even imagine how that plays. That's like that. That idea is insane to me. That like, oh yeah, you know, it's Sonic. You play it with the click wheel that iPods used ten years ago. <laughs> Alright, so we move on to the next question. Jumping back to Budai, we've got why do you think it is that Zelda is more popular in the West versus Japan? It is? It's apparently. It seems to have more, like, Western fans get more up in arms when one of them isn't being shown. But that might just be our perspective being, you know, in the USA. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this is a perspective thing because Zelda is one of like the four pillars of gaming over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Zelda, Dragon Quest, Monster Hunter, what's number four? <laughs> I know, take your pick. Um, ah, fair. And I said gaming, not RPG, so like Mario and Zelda are in there. Oh, fair. Actually, no, let's make it Smash Brothers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which helps reinforce uh, Zelda's status there as well. <laughs> yep. But yeah, this might just be uh, it seems like it because we aren't as exposed to Japanese game fandom. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, long story short, it's not Budai, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for playing. <clears throat> I mean, so when was the last time you walked into a 7-Eleven and saw a, like a $5 lottery thing for Zelda goods? Never? <laughs> uh, six months ago for me. Uh. I tried it just for fun and ended up winning a dish. Nice. Shaped like a heart container. That, that increased can, your health. Where can I get one of those? <laughs> well, I would have said me up until about three weeks ago, but I had to clean out my apartment, and so I ended up just mailing it to Nick's for as a birthday in home. Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> I hope she's got it by now. So. That'd be nice. Yep. So nice housewarming gift. I mean, over the years, I've had Zelda playing cards. I've had used to have a Zelda like letter opener at one point. Um, posed with the Zelda Sword and Shield at TGS one year. And of course, my my wife's family crest is actually the Triforce. <laughs> nice red. It's, it's a complete coincidence. There's, I mean, every family in Japan has a family crest, and there's only like 500 options. And one of them is um, three scales in a circle, and just happens to be the Triforce. Nice. Yeah, fairly common one actually. Okay. All right, we're gonna move on to the awesome me question. Finally, from the madness. I'm pretty sure I share a. L share a love of card-based games from someone on this podcast, so I feel comfortable posing this question. Are most card-based RPG battle systems really that far removed from a lot of other more traditional RPG battle systems? I see the most resemblance to stuff like old-school D&D and spell memorization and, and such, but if you just replace a lot of limited resource-reliant functions like mana or weapons with cards, I don't think the end result ends up being too different, and in any case, they're more fun to collect and a useful abstraction anyway. 
I completely agree. I'm being very politely quiet. <laughs> I was say that, that is why card-based games can actually succeed as RPGs. It's because it's a different style of abstraction for the same yeah. material. But aesthetically, there are enough differences that some people just don't like it. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. I'd also say that, that it affects player psychology. When you it's give players... When you give players a hand that they have to live with, it's like, <laughs> are, you, are you done? <laughs> uh, when you give players a deck and a hand and a greater element of randomness about what they can do at any given time, they mm-hmm. feel less control of their abilities. What's up? What's up? I'm not even sure what you're laughing at at this point. What's that? I'm not sure what you're laughing at. Just, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'd like to know. Uh, I was just going to say, just get, give them the option to get a mulligan, and then they'll have no problems with being presented a hand. I feel like that's probably not going to work. <laughs> uh, I've known yeah. some that do it, but a lot of them wouldn't. Like, they wouldn't be any happier about it, because they're still, like, fundamentally their options are limited by, well, what did I draw? Yeah. Yeah. I also feel like video games typically just... If you you use that card game abstraction, yes, but... Like, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I have tried to prepare for this question. <laughs> I actually looking into what I... what Like, I played some card games in real life very briefly at various points as I was growing up. And I tried to look at what about them was interesting to me as someone who is not terribly interested in card games inherently. Mm. And what I came to is that it was like constructing a deck in such a way as to draw order out of that chaos to create something that is less random than it looks like just by virtue of the fact that you're technically dealing from a shuffled set of cards. There's actually a lot of math involved. When you, yeah, there's when you a get lot very of serious about it. And the thing is that video games with card-based abstractions typically don't let you make that kind of deck. It's true. Like, you're dealing with a finite set of cards that typically can't really be added to. You're dealing with, like, enemies that often don't really act like they have a deck of actions that they deal with. And you're dealing with, like, just a situation where the abstraction doesn't actually get at what I think, as again, someone who is not terribly interested in card games, so grain of salt, but what I think is actually interesting about card games. So you produce an abstraction that's so wholly divorced from what's appealing that you just make me frustrated from a different angle. Okay. It's, I'm trying to think of some games I thought did it pretty well. Uh, Metal Man ba- Battle, uh, Mega Man Battle Network. Did you ever play those? Yes. Oh, yeah, yes. the chips. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's technically a card-based RPG system. As opposed to the one where they actually made a card game, which was uh, Battle Chip Challenge, which I never yeah, could I think of. Yeah, I played that one, too. Don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, I mean, Battle Network is a good example of how to organize it. Um, you've got a, a pretty large pool of options. You can organize it any way you want. There are... Um, you can use multiple chips per round. It's also and, not. It's also partially real time, isn't it? Yes. Um, you can. You move your character around your side of the screen to avoid attacks from the enemy. 
Yeah, which so gives you you feel a little less out of control. And the enemies are not card based themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't use the same mechanics. They have their own set attacks and patterns. Mm-hmm. And uh, quite often some sort of gimmick. Um, let's see, one that I played last year, um, Children of Zodiacs, was a tactical game with a card element to it. Oh yeah, you talked about Children of yeah. Zodiacs. Um, and again, um, it worked pretty well. There with a more limit, I mean, each character had their own set of abilities, and you could um, choose, or you could build your deck based on how much you wanted one ability to show up at any given time, for example. And it had dice modifiers and all sorts of things like that. So, mm-hmm. that worked pretty well too. Plus, you could see your entire deck and choose from seven cards Yeah, uh, on any round. So you weren't stuck with whatever had just come up. You could plan ahead quite a bit. Yeah, you can come up with these these setups. Like I feel like what ultimately ends up happening is that if you're playing against a computer, fundamentally, like you aren't playing the same kind of game you would play against a human, and you need yeah. to design a, a system around that that, in many ways, will not ultimately resemble what you would play a card game against a person. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just realizing all these examples my brain is coming up with. None of them are actually designed as a one-on-one versus card game. Yeah. There's they some use, other kind of RPG that uses cards. Yeah, just as an abstraction, which I guess is what they what this questioner was getting at. But at the same time, like it's one of those things where like it, it has to be real careful about it or it just immediately turns me away. So yeah. I guess I'm not the ideal candidate to answer this. Yeah. <laughs> well, so yes. Yeah, so, so Battle Network and Zodiacs both treated their cards at or for that matter Blazer Drive um, um, treat their cards as equipment and ability mm. sets, but some other card-based games treat them as card decks that and follow something closer to actual Magic the Gathering-style rules. And those are the ones that I always just hate. So, for whatever reason. Okay. So I was going to say... I. I've played some games that are like this, but I don't think a lot of them have really gotten to the essence of what makes like a collectible card game really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they usually focus on like the deck building and stuff like that, whereas in a lot of cases, people that are playing like collectible card games don't even build their own decks. They get a deck list, they put it together, and they can actually be quite phenomenal about the game. Because a lot of a lot a lot of what it's about is a lot of strategy, playing percentages, figuring out what your opponent's playing, and doing things like, okay, you know, I know what's left in my deck. I have like some percentage to draw this card, and I win the game, and I can do this play, and maybe have this percentage to win the game. It's a lot of it's a lot of deep strategy. Okay, I'm going to say a thing, and I'm going to show you how much time I spent researching this. You gonna, you ready to get your mind blown, Wheels? I'm quite ready to get my mind blown. This, this, very, this very short phrase that will show that I cared enough to look into this. Card advantage. Yes! <laughs> yes! Uh, yes, card Which is a thing that doesn't exist in video game card, with card game abstraction. It does not. 
Um, and, and honestly, I think I'd rather... What I would like to see out of like a card game RPG is make make the card game like the central mechanic and build an RPG around that. Like, mm-hmm. essentially think Pokemon the trading card, card game, the video game, but just make your own new card game for that. Like, things like Hearthstone show you can do a lot of nice things in digital in digital form that can make the thing either more engaging or faster or more readable. Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely ways where you can obviously use a card game as an abstraction. I'm just not sure how you use that and, like, successfully capture what makes, like, a card game great. It can probably be done, but um, I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd have to be something where, like, you are building, like, a deck of actions and stuff like that, and your enemies also have their own decks, and you can kind of figure out what sort of cards they have and prepare yourself or make certain actions based on that. Um, well, it's, it's, it's tough, though, because, I mean, really, when you look at it, card games, it's it's all about, like playing against another player and there's like we've discussed earlier there's never been like a great computer <laughs> uh that has but if you're making your own rules you can design a card game around things that the ai might actually be good at doing that's a good point yeah that's that's definitely a good point so um the other and, and i know there's some games that have come out recently that i haven't played that do stuff like this i forget the name some like card game RPG that came out with like a hand of fate. That's it. I have not played that, mm. so maybe that does something like this. I'm not sure, but yeah, uh, I would love to see an RPG where card advantage is something you need to learn about and deal with. <laughs> <laughs> and also, that... also, I was impressed that you sent me a very odd and specific magic card and made a joke <laughs> of it before, which is crazy. <laughs> I saw like I was I was looking up this thing and one of my favorite stupid things I did while researching this was like hearing someone coming up with like the stupidest way to lose a magic game imaginable and this was actually really funny to me oh, because how- it was like a combination of cards that involved like one with nothing and a bunch of other things that would end with you drawing your entire library and then making all of it unplayable within one turn. <laughs> Okay, that is an interesting <laughs> intellectual exercise. Yeah, but that was that was funny enough to stick out to me. Yeah. So yeah, I, I did some actual research because I wanted to approach this question with yeah. actual fairness. Well, one, one with nothing is a funny like uh, card game exercise itself because <laughs> the average person is going to look at that and say, "Why was this printed? This is a waste of cardboard. Who did this?" <laughs> Because it's a spell that reads, discard your hand. <laughs> and then it gives you, like, a freaking like, inspirational quote at the bottom. <laughs> when, you, when you've discarded everything. Every, yeah. Uh, when, you've, when you're left with nothing, everything is possible, or something like that. Uh... But it's funny, because for people that have played a lot of card games, they'll see something like that, and... And they won't say, this sucks. They'll say, how can I break this apart? How do I make this nuts? How, how do I make this so nuts they have to ban it in competitive play? 
I don't think they've yet succeeded with one with nothing, but they've no. sure tried. But I mean, once you learn a bit more about magic, it, it immediately starts to seem like less a terrible card, because there's things like, uh, there's a mechanic called Madness, which is when you discard a card with Madness, you can play it for essentially a cheaper cost. So if you have a handful of those, you can do crazy stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, just talking about that, it's, it's kind of the crazy stuff that can happen in card games that, you know, I, I like I said, I don't really see it having been captured in, like, card game type RPGs. There's another thing that I was thinking of based on a thing that you mentioned that, like, people will oftentimes, like, they'll they'll enjoy playing the game, but they won't be very good at constructing a deck ex nihilo, right. so they'll go onto and go online and, like, look up a deck list and play that. And a lot of... Hmm? gaming. Yes. A, a little bit of that, but, I mean, like, a lot of... Uh, I think that that... that integrating that into your card game RPG would be useful. Like, this idea of, like, the heroes, like, you can unlock or purchase, like, deck recipes or something that, like, you get this and it'll you can construct a deck based on it. Yeah. But, or, like... Or you go you to would, a different would, area in the game and it's a different meta than what you may have been in the previous area in the game. Yeah, but it's also, like, it, it would be... It's sort of, like, customizing your... Like, the sort of character you would get the difference between someone who buys the best weapons in an RPG and the sort of person who, like, goes into the, like, alchemy or crafting system and crafts, like, some ridiculous uh, weapon that, like, could be much more effective than what's purchasable, but requires a lot more, pers- like, direct management. It would, right. Like, if you give those, like... Because that's the thing that is terrifying to me, is, like, sitting down and trying to construct a deck. Because you know that whatever deck they start you with in these card game-based RPGs is generally, if there's any serious card game to it, you have to go and fix it. Because what you're going to get at the start is not going to be very good. Right. So, like, if you give them that out, like, more people can play this kind of game. Yeah, I I think you're onto something there, because, yeah... It's it's deck building, you know, lots of people like to make decks, but I mean, you, you look at some of the card games where they have serious professionals, and, you know, they're not all building their own decks. Um, a, lot of them, a lot of them are maybe taking what's already there and tweaking in one card or another, or, a lot, I mean, a lot of the pros play together, they're using each other's decks. You know, it's, yeah. it's an aspect of, of those games that isn't required, and I think probably too many RPGs focus too much on deck building. I feel like the sort of person that wants to make a card game RPG is the sort of person that likes fiddling with decks. It's also (laughs) probably true. Yes. I mean, it's just like the kind of person who likes to make dungeon crawling RPGs is the kind of person who likes to mess with character builds. Yeah, also true. Seventh Dragon. Seventh Dragon. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes, the mm. focus on that part to the exclusion of anything else to make the game good. Um, you run into those sorts of like gaps where the kind of person that wants to make this kind of game is the kind of person who will never in, be inclined to build it around this other this way of looking at it because if, because the part that they enjoy is the part that they're putting all this focus on. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah. I, like, I, I am trying to be fair here, so I, I did my best. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm very impressed you did your research, so good show. Good show. Now, how do I actually get you to play a digital card game? Listen, I will sit down and you name one and I will frickin' play it with you for a bit. Alright. We can do it on stream. It'll be a lesson. Uh, it'll be an awful lesson in someone not really being very good at it and not really understanding the rules. <laughs> Talk about card advantage and tempo. Oh, man. Tempo... Not playing into some... board, board, not playing into board sweeps. Good times. Oh man, get some nice, uh, get some nice pluses going on. Yeah. Uh... Recognizing when your opponent's holding a card. <laughs> this will be terrible. I will be massacred as a lamb for the slaughter upon uh, an altar upon which a stream of seven people will see. <laughs> All right, so sh sh uh, should we move on to another question now, since I can sure, probably please. talk about this for way too long? All right. <laughs> yes. More from the madness. I thought of this while watching some Death Gambit gameplay, but is Dark Souls just a 3D Castlevania series? I disagree! <laughs> uh, you, you could argue that Castlevania is somewhere in its pedigree, but not really, no. Yeah, no. The way that I was thinking... I was thinking about I disagreed with this, and the thinking that I ultimately came up with was that to like to take the most open, the most Metroidvania-esque of these would be to look at Dark Souls 1. That's the one with the most open progression. And that game is still fundamentally about whether you've hit event flags and found keys. Mm. And, like... So if you're comparing it to a Metroid Castlevania, what you're running into is that your range of actions is never changing except for how much damage you can do. You are never getting to a new area through, like, having gained a new ability. You are always getting through it because you found a key, which makes it as Metroid as a level of doom. <laughs> <laughs> It's a hor uh, horrifying way to break it down, actually. I apologize. I, like, I don't mean to be rude. I just, I've seen this comparison a lot, so I have, like, this... Like, I don't necessarily agree with it, and so I'm trying to lay out my case. No, I totally agree, though. And then, if you look at it from the other perspective, you get Castlevania in its classic form, which is very much a set of linear, but very, like, stratified, like, skill challenges but at the same time there's no progression in that except for what you do like how good you are at learning how the level is laid out which I don't think really fits Dark Souls or Bloodborne either no so I think that Castlevania was definitely in its I think that like Hidetaka Miyazaki probably played Castlevania and probably liked it but I don't think that it's a direct like, you can draw a, any sort of, like, family tree line from one to the other. Right. Uh, if you want that, you gotta go play Lords of Shadow. 
I'm forcibly reminded. <laughs> I'm being polite here. I'm forcibly <laughs> reminded of when Devil May Cry came out. People were like, "This is a hard 3D game. That it's like Castlevania. If it if it's like a 3D Castlevania, if that had been good, and it's like 3D Castlevania took some inspiration from Devil May Cry, but it went in a like that 3D Castlevania after that didn't really like was very much a break from what Castlevania had been to that point, partially for budgetary reasons, partially for practical reasons. But, like, in general, like, they they were all different beasts. And, I, like, Devil May Cry, I don't think, fit the fit the bill either. It doesn't really play like Castlevania. Because no. I'm not even sure that you can make something that plays like Castlevania in three dimensions because so much of its design is based around you are on a 2D plane. You have no options to get around this other than a handful of very limited actions because your player character has the ability to jump in a very limited fashion and the ability to like attack in a very limited fashion. How, how do you prepare to get through this area? I think, uh, I think strangely the game that has come closest to that sort of experience would be Metroid prime actually. Hmm. But obviously that's very, it's Metroid is a lot different than Castlevania, but I think that's, sort of the closest you get to like the pure Castlevania sort of experience in 3D. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was thinking about uh, with regards to this oh, what the heck was it? My brain is just just dumped all information in a horrifying mess onto the floor. <laughs> um, but like no, nah, it's, it's gone. You go ahead. <laughs> Uh, I think that's about all I got. I mean... Oh, wait. I okay. did remember it. So, this does remind me of, like, there's another attempt to take a Castlevania-style game and make it 3D, and it doesn't play much like it's what it's trying to make 3D either. So, uh, my personal opinion has long been that Castlevania... Like, Konami and Capcom had a very long sort of situation where they both were very much into the same genres. So they would kind of push to have, like, competing series going on. So, like, Capcom would get big into beat-em-ups, and Konami would follow up with... So, like, you'd get Final Fight, and then from Konami you would get other, like, licensed beat-em-ups that, like, were partially Turtles-inspired, but partially, like, Final Fight-inspired. And you'd sort of see that back and forth. And one of the earliest of those is that Castlevania feels very much like the Konami brand of Ghosts and Goblins. Hmm true they are both defined by a very rigid uh jump arc and a very unforgiving uh enemy set of spawns and behaviors uh but ghosts and goblins was birthed in the arcade and is therefore like a fundamentally just less fair experience um, like requires more memorization somehow oh not uh, just enemy patterns but for item drop area patterns and yeah. when and, and spawn patterns and everything, and because you just have two hits. But uh, but in many ways, I feel that those two series are competing. And in that sense, Capcom took its own hand at trying to make Ghosts and Goblins 3D when they made Maximo Ghosts to Glory for PS2. And that is honestly much closer to Ghosts and Goblins in 3D than anything has been to Castlevania, classic Castlevania in 3D. And that still isn't that Ghosts and Goblins-y, but it is at least, like, if you want to see what that kind of incredibly rigid platforming that requires you to 
be carefully move to the next area, see what enemies are there, uh, make your uh, make your moves in a very precise fashion to clear the runway so that you can make it to the next area. Like go like Maximo, I don't actually like it very much, but it is probably the closest to that kind of platformer in 3D. So maybe worth checking out as an addendum to this discussion about whether Dark Souls is, which again my opinion would be that it, it really is on Yeah. As for as for three D Metroid constructions, like the only ones I can really think of are Metroid Prime and Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver. Good times. Uh, yeah, that's that's about as much as I can say. Alright. More than good. Should we jump yeah. to the next question? Last uh, question. Eternal youth. Uh, I guess I'll I'll read this then. Sure. With Octopath Traveler having as of now sold over a million copies here in the US, do you believe it might influence if the next uh, FF game could be turn-based. I'm going to quickly editorialize and say probably not. Yeah. Personally, I believe that ship has sailed for the series, but games like Octopath, Divinity Original Sin, and the Dragon Quest XI cells, I hope, might plant a seed that turn-based RPGs can still appeal to a Western audience. Can, can, I uh, just, can I just throw something in here before we even finish the question? Yeah. You do realize, Internal Youth, that uh, some non-turn-based game, I think it was called uh, Final Fantasy 15 or something, sold a lot more than a million copies. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that out there, and con- like, just uh, continue. Continue. I, like, like the, the next bit is just slightly a semi aside, so we'll save that for last. But sure. uh, I, I wouldn't go that far, but I do think that like if those sell, it's more an argument to keep making those series, whereas yeah. Final Fantasy will probably continue to aggressively reinvent itself. And some of those aggressive reinventions will probably involve going back to turn-based at times. Sure. But I mean, like, Final Fantasy divorced itself from being traditionally turn-based in 4. Like, they were all about how the ATB meant that, like, things were having to wait to take action, but they were not taking turns. Yeah. And I, like, the only time they ever went back was FF10's count time battle system. And... Like, that was fun, but I think that they would probably sooner continue to allow that to influence other games rather than make that the main idea of FF going forward. And, like, I'm the thing to me that matters is that they keep making these kinds of games because those kinds of games are still interesting, but I don't right. feel like they need to be called Final Fantasy. No. no. And I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think they gain anything by that. I mean, and they have other IP. They, if they really need to use some IP, they have lots of dormant IP they can use. Saga, <clears throat> which I guess I mean, that, that's not really continue, dormant, but I'm just saying. Yeah, Saga will continue, thankfully, to be under the auspices of Akitoshi Kawazu until he dies, retires, whichever comes first. But uh, it sublimates to a higher plane of existence. <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll he will spark a new plane of existence and leave us all behind. But. Uh, but yeah, like I, I feel like I don't like I don't see them committing to turn based. I do see them like again occasionally moving back to a less action oriented uh, setup than fifteen, which was again only an action RPG essentially because it was the most promising looking Final Fantasy project that they had, so it became FF fifteen. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but. Uh... Like, it's one of those situations where 
again, I, I think it'll probably occasionally do it, but I mean, Octopath is proof that they don't have to call it Final Fantasy to make it sell. Right. So they don't need to make they don't need to make a turn-based game and then say, well, I guess that means that we should make this Final Fantasy because turn-based. Yeah. So. I think a lot of ways it gives them some a bit more creative freedom when it's not Final Fantasy too. Yeah, like, I mean, that's part of why I think that Octopath kind of hit in a way that a lot of throwback RPGs didn't, is that it didn't tie itself to any one RPG. It was, it's a throwback to a lot of, a little bits of a lot of old RPGs. Right. So. But, and I mean, like, again, if you want their strictly turn-based high-budget output, I mean, you just mentioned DQ11, which will always be turn-based. Because the one time they tried not doing <laughs> turn-based, like, fans essentially rioted in the streets. So... You're probably safe that there will always be at least one high-budget RPG series from Square Enix that will be turn-based, so... I don't think that, uh... Like, you'll always have something to say to you, at the very least. Yeah. The ecosystem's a little more diverse for Final Fantasy, continuing to aggressively question what is required to be a Final Fantasy. And I hope they continue to, to do so, because... I'm excited to find out what kind of RPG FF7 remake is. <laughs> yeah. And... That should be fun, and we shall hear the wailing and lamentations, and no matter what happens. A little bit, a little bit. And I'm excited for the Final Fantasy 16 that is a uh, collectible card game RPG. Oh, heavens. A real-time collectible card game RPG. <laughs> I don't even know how a non-turn-based card game works, but uh, I've decided that that's what they'll tackle. Someone's going to point out that uh, someone's going to make a joke that uh, Final Fantasy VIII was already their collectible card game RPG, <laughs> and I will respond so that I hate Triple Triad with every fiber of my being. It's kind. Of, it's kind of a bad how about, game. How about Tetra Master? Tetra Master, yeah, Tetra Master's not a good card game, but at the same time, you also only ever have to play it once, and you don't even have to win. <laughs> so. It wins for me by default because I never the game did not uh, imply that it was a good idea to spend my time with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, and the last portion of Eternal Youth's question. Thank you for your question, by the way, even if we may yes, have gotten thank a little you partial. Uh, are you looking forward to Bard's Tale 4 and the upcoming remaster of the original trilogy? I am, mostly because I did not get to play the original trilogy. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, I remember trying to play the original games at one point decades ago and not. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, like, I'm sad that my favorite bit of trivia won't apply to them, which was that parties were cross-compatible between, like, Wizardry Ultima 1 and Bard's Tale 1. That's weird. Yeah, imagine imagine companies releasing games that, like, at a time when they were simple enough and RPGs were small enough that, like, you could make... Three different companies could make three different games with parties that all worked in the same... Uh, that would all just work if you transferred them from game to game. Uh, yeah. They're also kind of working on the same inspiration from Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yep. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Press. I uh, remember there's reading that there is a version of Bard's Tale one where if you just pressed a specific key that the game never marked, it would just spawn an unkillable golem into your party. It sounded very <laughs> much like something someone had spent putting in debug and then never removed. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, like yeah. I, I'm interested in that because I, I care a lot about like history like that, and so I would like to see what these remasters do and if they try to make them at all uh, approachable for new players. At the same time, my favorite Bard's Tale will probably remain the action RPG one. That is the Carrie Elwes and yes. the Tony <laughs> J. Yes. Getting into arguments every three minutes game. Yes. I'm uh, figuring they're just going to try and take the wizardry style and update it. Yeah. Oh, probably. Yeah. And that's fine. But the PS2 Bard's Tale, PS2 and Xbox Bard's Tale, which would eventually got released on phones of all things. Uh, yeah, but that's a very. It's also on PS4 and Vita. Oh, it is? Nice. Yeah. I'm surprised that they kept going back to that well, because it, like, it seemed like the sort of thing that someone who had played the original Bard's Tale would consider heresy, but that's one of the only, like, sort of Diablo-y style... Uh, sort of Diablo-y style action RPGs I've ever cared about. Yeah. And that was half the writing and half the, like, convenience features they put in, where, like, the game would, if you pick something up and it detects and it would do, run a check, essentially, to see if it was worse than what you already had, and if it was, it would just automatically convert it into gold. <laughs> yeah, some company in Europe is did, like, a limited run-style thing for it, which I ordered. Uh, hmm. Hopefully I, that company doesn't fall apart or something, but, yeah, I mean, my affection for the game was high enough that I took the shot. Oh, yeah, so, speaking, yeah. Uh, speaking of the Vita, uh, I guess I sh it feels correct to mark out uh, oh, R.I.P. Yes. Bloodstained Ritual yeah. of the Night for the Vita. Cut down as it was probably going to be just a gigantic boondoggle getting that game to work on there. Yep. Not, not necessarily because of a graphics concern, because Unreal Engine 4 no does not exist as a Vita-compatible engine. No, and honestly, I'm kind of surprised this didn't come sooner. This is one of those things where, like, I feel like they were probably willing to commit to it as long as they could at least sell physical copies of it, because that felt like a it was worth it for PR to say that they had followed through on that version of the game. Yeah. But once they also found that they had delayed the game in 2019, and that was when the PS Vita was going to not... Like, Sony was going to cease manufacturing Vita cartridges, and they were going to have to deal with a PR headache from people who had ordered a physical version and now could not get them because Sony was not going to make cartridges. It was like, well, if we're going to have a PR headache, we might as well just rip the Band-Aid off and just cancel this version because it's yeah. going to be expensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. Vita fans still got that version of Mighty Number no. 9 coming. Oh, that game is definitely coming. <laughs> I looked this up last time. That was really funny to look it up, and it was like the first company that was contracted to make that uh, who were like, yeah... They didn't ever provide us any versions past the initial backer beta, and we never even started work on it. Yikes. And so they ultimately contracted it. They left the contract on the table, and it got contracted out to another company who has not said a single thing about it. Excellent. Still totally happening. Definitely happening. People still care. Uh... It's time to all go play Mega Man 11 instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, if it ever actually comes out to Vita, I will... I mean, I'm, we'll, I have the crossplay thing, so I'll have it. So I will stream it so we can we can marvel at it uh, together. And wonder how it, how it emerged from that dread abyss. Yeah. It probably won't. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Bearing in mind that Comcept is now owned by Level 5, who probably legally have no obligations to that version. Yeah. Apparently the last claim that it was eventually going to happen was in, like, June? Of this year? Uh, no, June of last year. Okay. So, yeah, we have not heard... We have not seen Hyden or Hoofmark from Mighty Number no. 9 on 3DS and Vita since. Except for that that uh, statement by the original developers of those versions saying, yeah, we never were given any sort of help or intermediary tools or anything, and we left it on the table, so... Or code, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, if they're not giving you inter intermediary versions, it's very clear they're not giving you code. Also, that would have been a nightmare, too, trying to get that on 3DS, because that's uh, a UE3 game, which you'll never guess what doesn't have an official version of UE3. <laughs> Does the Vita? Uh, I think it might. Yeah, it's, gonna, it's got Borderlands on it, so which I Although think that is was... UE3. Is that UE at all? Uh, like I don't like I don't know what uh, Borderlands 2 runs under. Let's ask. Uh, Unreal Let's 3. Ask Wikipedia. Unreal yeah, Engine UE3. 3. I mean, Iron Galaxy probably had to do some some real yeoman's work to get it to happen, but yeah. that's kind of what you call them in for. They're one of those companies. It's like Panic Button. Yeah, it's like, oh, you need to get this to run on this platform. We will make it happen somehow, some way. And I still can't. I still can't get over how good Panic Button's Doom port to Switch is. It's crazy. Yeah. So good that the sequel pretty promptly got announced for Switch. Yeah, I imagine that that sold actually pretty well for them. Yeah. So they were like, yeah, let's keep doing this. So it's... Because I believe the sequel actually un runs under a new version of id Tech. Nice. And hey, um, the Switch version of Doom has basically not dropped in price. Like, I've been waiting it for it to. It's still looking at 40 to 50 Resilient... bucks. Yeah, resiliently staying up there. Uh... Yeah. This, that does remind me I need to pick up Wolfenstein the New Colossus for it's Switch. It's so good. Oh, man. Well, welcome to FPS Gamer. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to FPS Gamer. We've got the latest Overwatch news here. And um, oh, no, Fortnite no, is trash. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an FPS. It's a TPS. That's oh. our sister site. <laughs> it's still trash. <laughs> Crash person shooter D TPS. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, I think I think Fortnite's fine. Whatever. Uh, it's better than numbers come it's, out. It's better than come PUBG. Out when you, I'll say that it's better than PUBG. Numbers come out when you shoot man. So technically, it's an RPG. This I declare. Oh God, <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> what horrors have you wrought? Uh, okay, we should wrap this up before I destroy anything else. Okay. Uh, questions, send them to us. Send me all your questions about card advantage. Oh, yes, please. Let's talk about tempo. Oh, man. Anyone want to talk about tempo? Yeah, How do you feel about cycle cards? Tempo? Tempo. It's a, it's a whole collectible card game concept. Um, yeah, you lost me there. Okay. <laughs> I'll just go back to reading stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, cycling is a cool ability. I like it. <laughs> I come out firmly in the pro column. Yes, cycling, cycling is good. Yes, it's very good in Pokemon games. Yes, cycling. Yes. 
Dead. <laughs> oh man, now I'm thinking about the. Now I'm thinking about the early 3DS game from Game Freak, Harmonite, and how it had, it, which was a rhythm platformer. But that game had the Pokemon biking theme as a hidden song in it. That is, that's cool. That's actually a really cute, underrated game. I recommend it. Sounds pretty cool. Oh, speaking of... Well, okay, I guess it's not underrated at this point, but Dead Cells, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, it's nice to talk about that and not be talking about plagiarism. Yes, yeah, God. Yeah, See, I wrote it immediately. Yeah. Dead Cells is... Uh, well, I looked at the back of the box. It described it as a roguevania. I'm like, that's a lame buzzword. And it's kind <laughs> of a perfect description of the game, as it turns out. Like, to the point where, hey, I unlocked a new, new abilities, and now there's new places I can get to on my next run. It's... Uh, it's it's pretty sweet. It's on Switch, PC, and PS4. Possibly, that sounds correct. Possibly there might be an Xbox version. Maybe, maybe not. Only physical on Switch and PS4, of course. But I highly, also, I highly recommend people check it out. Highly, highly. It's good stuff. An extra, an extra. Plug, plug, plug. Please purchase the Grandia 1 and 2 HD versions when they come out. They're both really good. <laughs> yeah, I think we've got a lot of fans of that on the site, so probably anyone we're talking to doesn't need much convincing. Yeah, but I'm still going to try. Yeah, I will certainly grab it. Oh, man. Did I ever tell you about that time that I got stupid and crazy and was like, wait a minute, actually, in Grandia 1, water magic levels up when you use it, and you can use it outside of battle, and there are traps that cause you to lose health, and all water magic is healing. And yes. so I got water what? magic stupid, yep. stupid levels really early on. This sounds, also, sounds awesome, and I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter, please. Uh, when you if, when that game comes out and you want to stream it, I will help you. Yeah. But uh, the other the other fun thing about leveling up water magic is every time you level up water magic, that character gains two HP. Mm-hmm. And that game, like a high level character, is going to max out at maybe five hundred. And getting ninety nine water levels via this stupid stupid thing that I did meant that I got to, like, partway through the game, like, like three hours or so into the game, and it's like, oh, uh, well, I currently have about, th- you know, 250, 260 HP, which is about 198 more than I'm supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Which also means that because the water level, like, this just domino effects all like all of these useful effects compound each other because every time you gain a level in a magic every time you gain a magic level you gain more MP but also every time you gain a magic level that school of magic every spell in it gets faster to cast uh-huh so you reach a point where all if your characters are high level in water magic you reach a point where all of them are able to insta heal at any point because like you're not going to have enough HP for your heal all spell to not heal all of them fully. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, yeah. 
When's this Grand come out? One. When's this come out? Uh, Is it now? Can I play this now? I guess technically know. I can we play this now. Know. All we've been told is that, like, it's coming out, and Gung Ho's American presence acknowledged that it existed, So, and it's also a Steam game, so the odds of us not getting it are very low. <laughs> mm, steamed hams. Well, I managed to level grind, despite your direction. <laughs> Okay, let's kill this before I ruin okay. something. Alright, questions, usual place. Um, can always bug me on Discord, or I guess bug Dave on Discord, because I'm pretty sure you're on there more than I am. Oh yeah, I, I am much less employed than you, so... <laughs> well, and also, I have I have found a Hearthstone chat on Discord, and that's kind of where I hang out now. <laughs> that makes you a criminal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, send us questions. We're always happy to answer them um oh yeah budai had also asked about uh on the discord about things to like favorite ways to break a game guess what buddy i just answered them yeah nice <laughs> success so, oh, so you're currently playing magic the gathering arena right now wheels what Is that's what discord says god damn Nothing Discord! <laughs> you monster! <laughs> selling me out! You can go into a setting and make that go away, but I, it's much funnier for me to always know what's distracting you from the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not actually playing it. I've, had, I've been poking around putting together a singleton deck off and on. But yeah, it is, it is technically open. Yeah. But yeah, uh, questions the usual place. I promise that I will not digress us out of this ending again. <laughs> Any other final thoughts, uh, Mike? Um, no, I'm just been listening along for the last few bits that I cannot comment on. And yes, I apologize for for the long uh, card game bits. <laughs> yeah, and trying to preserve the frog in my throat. Yeah. He's an important. He's an important frog. He might one day be a sergeant. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Next week is we're going to be recording on the eve of Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate. So I'm going to try and get uh, the co-host, my co-host of the hunt, on Phil Willis. So. Um, Hopefully the week following that. that, I will definitely not be available because I will be at PAX. So we may have you guys may have to go on without me. Okay, we'll see what we can do. But yeah, that's that will be next week. I'm actually going to try and edit and post the show that very night. So we'll see how that goes. We do these occasional like whatever's Eve podcasts. Yeah, it's I always kinda, fun. I, I kind of like doing that. Um, so the week after that, that stinks. The week after that will be Dragon Quest Eve. Oh man! Yeah, I might be able to. I might be able to Skype in since the packs will be mostly over by that point. All we'll right. see what happens. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, we'll. Uh, that's it. We'll see you next week. See you, Space Cowboy.